0: The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Hey, if you're new to New Song Church, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor. And uh, I'd love to meet you after the service is over. I'll be out in the lobby along with my wife, and we'd love for you to stop by, say hi to us. I've got a gift for you, so make sure you, you come by and you grab that. And, uh, man, we've been meeting so many new people lately. God is growing our church. We have had record attendance the last several weeks. Uh, We got another full service in here last night. Saturday was pretty full. So, uh, yeah, things are are going. Things are moving. And we are grateful for what God has ahead of us. Probably going to be adding another service before too long as we move towards our the our land and all that god has for us out there it's exciting exciting time so i'm i'm so grateful that we get to go on this journey with you and i am thankful for what god is doing in this place and so if you are looking for a church home and you find yourself here today we want you to know uh that we would love to add you to this family we consider ourselves to be a family and we are always looking to grow the family of god and this is a great place to connect with god and to connect with his people because we got some kingdom people up in this mug amen Amen. All right. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We're going we're gonna to look at several kind of sections of Scripture this morning. Uh, as we continue this series, we're in called, What Did Jesus Do? Not what would Jesus do, what did Jesus do? And what we're doing through this series is we're looking at the, the kind of the actions of Jesus' life. Because we said in week one of this series, one of the great gifts that that Jesus gave us was not just the gift of salvation. As incredible as that is, he came, he died on the cross, he made a way so that those of us who were dead in our sins could be made alive. That's the greatest gift ever. But he also gave us the gift of, of a life lived that we can look at and that we can study and that we can learn how he did things so that we can look like him. You know, we talk about here at New Song Church, we want to practice the way of Jesus. We're called a Christian. That means we're Christ-like. You can't, you can't look like Christ. You can't do what Jesus did unless you know what he did. And so we've been looking at how Jesus navigated some of these situations that we find ourselves in as people living in the world today. We, we started this series by talking about uh, temptation, how Jesus navigated temptation. We talked about how Jesus dealt with difficult people. We talked about how Jesus, last week my wife did a great job, talking about how Jesus navigated doubt. Because we all face these things, don't we? We all have to deal with these things. And so it's important that we understand how we navigate these things. And if you've been paying attention throughout the series, you probably noticed that we keep coming back to this idea that Jesus was able to do what Jesus did publicly because of what Jesus was practicing privately. Jesus was regularly slipping away so that he could come correct into every situation. You remember that? Jesus would slip away and he would connect with God. He would pray. He would spend time with the Lord. And it's from from that place of connection with God that that became the platform that he was able to stand on publicly when he would move to do the ministry that he was doing with people. And, and what's true for Jesus is true for you. No matter what we're dealing with, no matter what we're facing, if you're going to navigate the situations and circumstances of life like Jesus did, you're going to have to do what Jesus did. That's right. Sarah said it last week. It was really good. You can't do what Jesus did unless you do what Jesus did. And what she meant by that was you can't do what Jesus did publicly if you're not doing what Jesus did privately. Yeah. If you're not spending time in the, in the Word, if you're not spending time being, being empowered by the Holy Spirit... Knowing and receiving correction from God, receiving direction from God, if you're not spending time doing that, you're going to struggle to deal with the circumstances of life. And the same, what's been true for the first three weeks of this series remains true for what we're going to talk about today. As we look at today, what did Jesus do when he faced injustice? What did Jesus do when he faced injustice? Injustice is a real thing. It exists all around us. It happens all the time. And Jesus was able to navigate injustice and do it in a just way. And so we're going to look at how he did that and what we are to do by following his lead today. Let's pray as we dig into this this morning. Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful that you're here. We we know today this is not about just going to a service, singing some songs, and hearing a talk, but that this is about encountering a living, loving God who loves us and is for us and wants to help us and has a plan for our life. And so we come to your word today, we come into this service today humbly, and we welcome your word to do what it does, to to mold us and shape us so that we can become the image of Jesus in this world, so we can reflect who you are to a world around us that's broken and dark and lost, and we know that there's injustice all around us. Some of us have experienced injustice, or wherever we find ourselves today, we we thank you that we're going to walk away different. In Jesus' name, we're going to walk away with the implanted Word of God in us. Lord, we look at your Word as more than just a book to study, but as life. It's life to those who find it. Just like we take in food and it nourishes our body and brings strength to us. And Lord, we thank you that your Word is the bread of life. And we take it in and thank you it's going to bring life to us and nourishment to us and help us to see things and think things and be strong in the Lord and the power of his might today. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do today. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name, somebody said, amen. 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 Injustice. According to the Bible, kind of a biblical definition for injustice is this. It's a sign of partiality, judgmentalism, or a lack of love. Partiality. In other words, favoring some over others or not favoring some over others. Uh, Judgmentalism. Making judgments based on what we think we know. And, and, lack of, and a lack of love, basically not caring, not really caring. And we see this all around us. We've experienced this. And just like we experience it today, Jesus experienced it in the days that he was walking on this earth. And what's interesting, when you study the life of Jesus, there's, there's three stories is what I want to look at today where we really see this on display. We see this judgmentalism, partiality, lack of love on display and we see Jesus reacting to it and displaying something in it that we wouldn't necessarily consider to be a trademark characteristic of Jesus, and yet it is, because he does it every time. And so I'm going I'm to let you know, first of all, what, what did Jesus do when he faced injustice, and then we'll unpack what it looked like and, so we can understand it in a greater way. Okay, so what did Jesus do when he faced injustice? You ready? Are you ready? You really ready? Okay. Here's what Jesus did when he faced injustice. He got angry. He got mad. He didn't like it. He got ticked off. Now, maybe you find yourself going, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor Josh. Like, we're talking about Jesus. He's the Son of God. He is God. Like, God is love, right? So how, how could Jesus, he was sinless. How could Jesus be getting angry? And maybe you find yourself kind of there right now because, you know, the image that you kind of have of of Jesus is maybe it's an image that kind of looks like this. Like this is what you've thought of Jesus. It's not exactly, you know, the image of a guy who's going to strongly contend for things. Jesus looks like he's got the kind of far off look in his baby blue eyes. His hair looks like it's been recently bleached. Maybe even crimped. <laughs> so we, we see images like this or him holding a lamb or whatever. And we, we, you guys can take that down. We see that and we think, I don't know, like G-, an angry Jesus. Like we struggle with that idea. Now it's important that you understand. This is why I'm starting here because it's important that you understand. Because as we look at these stories today, you're going to see Jesus displaying anger. And so it's important that you understand how anger works. Because if you don't understand how anger works you're going to struggle with being able to navigate the injustices of life with anger in the right way, because that's what we're called to do. So there's two myths that I think a lot of people believe related to anger. Here's the first one. First myth a lot of people buy into, if you're taking notes, write this down. Being angry is always wrong. That's a myth. Being angry is always wrong. Some people think it's like you, just, you shouldn't be angry. It's a sin to be angry. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26 It says, be angry. Someone say, be angry. angry. Notice it doesn't say, don't be angry. It says, be angry. Like, do it. Be angry. But when you do it, what does it say? It says, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So notice, the sin is not the anger. The sin is what you do with the anger. It's not wrong to to have anger. Anger is an emotion. And it's an emotion. It's a God-given emotion. In fact, in the Old Testament, 375 times, it says that God got angry. Why did God get angry? Here's why. Because anger in the right context is actually a sign of love. You say, God is love, right? So how could he get angry? He got angry because he's love. Like, think about this. I love my wife. And I love my children. So if I find out that there is somebody who is coming against my wife, coming against my family, guess what? There's going to be some righteous anger that comes up inside of me to defend them against a wrong that's trying to be perpetuated against them. And in that moment, that anger is a sign of my love. So anger is not always wrong. It's what you do with anger. And we can do some dumb stuff with anger. Like I'm not giving you permission to just start raging out and freaking out on everybody, okay? But in the right context, under control, navigated properly, anger is, is not a bad thing. So anger is not always wrong. Here's the second myth we buy into is that anger is out of my control. Anger is out of my control. Like, I, I can't control this. And really what people are saying when they say, like, you know, I meet somebody and they're like, I, you know, I just have a, I have a temper. And I, I mean, you know, it happens. What you're really saying there is, is not that you can't control your anger. It's that you can't control what you do with your anger. Yeah. And what you're saying is because Joshua, the Bible tells us this in Joshua 24:15. It says, choose this day who you will serve. And so the person that comes to me and they say, I'm sorry, I just got a, a temper. I got an anger issue. What you're really saying to me is, sorry, I, when, when, it get, when the going gets tough, when it gets hard, I choose to serve my emotions. I choose to serve my anger over choosing to serve Jesus. Yeah. But, but I want you to know, like, this idea that, like, you know, someone's making me mad. They can't make you mad. Nobody can make you do anything. Yeah. What you do with your anger... Is, is within your control. Some of you are looking at me right now, like you're making me mad right now. <laughs> Calm down. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to help you because here's what I've seen is that sometimes people, they buy into this, this myth that it's out of my control. And so they just side with that concept and they say stuff like, well, you know, it's my family history. Got some hotheads and I'm just one of them. I got red hair. One of the sweetest people I know in the world is Jackson Wilson. He's got red hair. Sweetest man I know. So that, that, you blow that myth out of the water, bro. But we just buy into this stuff. And, and, and I want you to think about this for a moment. It's like saying, you know, my, my grandpa, because it's like my family history, it's just who I am, it's the color of my skin, it's whatever. So it's like saying my grandpa was a horse thief. And my, my dad was, you know, he, he downloaded a lot of songs on Napster. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I'm a thief. Sorry. Deal with it, world. Like, none of us are going to go, yeah, that makes sense. No. Like, you may have a tendency because of some stuff in your history to want to go a certain direction, but you don't just accept that. But we do this with anger. <laughs> we just say, oh, yeah, it's just how it is. I'm, I'm just one of those people. No, no, no. Choose this day who you will serve. And the problem is what we do is we, we side with that and we do damage. We do damage to people. We do damage to ourself. Listen, that's not practicing the way of Jesus, right? To be transformed into the image of Jesus. It means there's going to be a change. Transformation means a change needs to take place. So, so we can't just agree with this. Now, the reason this is so important is because you're going to see today Jesus displaying anger. But it's important that you understand these things because what you're going to see is when Jesus is displaying anger, he is choosing to display it, and he is under complete control as he displays it. And he's doing this for a reason. He's doing this so that we can learn from his life. We can learn, first of all, what is it that makes Jesus mad? Or what is it that he chooses to get mad about and display his anger about? Because if it, if it angers the heart of God, shouldn't it anger the heart of his people? I think so. And and two, Jesus shows us in his responses how we are to respond to anger. Now, he doesn't just give it's not a formula, but what you see in it is the overall heart of God related to injustice. All right, you ready to go into this with me? So let's go to Mark chapter three, the first story where we see Jesus displaying anger based on injustice. Jesus is in the synagogue in this story. Let me set this up for you a little bit. And in the synagogue, it's kind of the church of the day. The, the, what was the church of the day? There are Pharisees who are kind of the religious leaders of the day. There are the people who are following Jesus. There are the people that are at the synagogue to worship God. Uh, there are the, 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 his close group of disciples. There's the crowds. And then there's people who are sick and hurting. And one of those people is a man with a shriveled hand. That word shriveled means that his hand is useless. So we don't exactly know what happened to his hand. We don't, we don't really understand what happened if he was born this way, if there was an accident well, what we know is there's, there's a deformity to his hand that keeps him from being able to use this hand. Uh, in Luke's account of the same story, Luke the physician lets us in on something else related to this guy's hand, and that's his right hand. And if you know anything about Scripture, you know that the right hand is a big deal. The right hand was a symbol of, of authority. It was a symbol of strength. It was a symbol of blessing. It was a symbol of, use, of usefulness. It's kind of like where we get the term... Uh, he's my right-hand man. When we say that, what we're saying is this guy's really close to me. This guy is very useful to me. He's my right-hand man. So, so in, in, in this day and age where people were very in the ancient society, they were very superstitious. When they saw this guy who has a shriveled right hand, they look at that guy and they say, man, something is really wrong there. I don't know what it is, and I don't really want to know what it is. I just know I want to stay away from that guy. They start to judge this guy. Based on this issue. There might be something in his history. There might be something that he's done. Something, uh, I don't know what it is. I don't care to know what it is. I, I just know I don't want anything to do with this guy. And so he's an outsider. And think about how tough this must be for this guy. He's living in a world where people need to work with their hands. And yet he can't do that. So he has to beg. But now because he has a shriveled right hand, when he goes to beg, people are less likely to show him empathy and sympathy because... They look at him in that right hand, and they say, this, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with this guy. So this guy's in a tough place. This is where we pick up verse 1. Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Notice the heart of these guys. Jesus, you, you, you better not heal this guy on the Sabbath. You, mm, Jesus. You better not. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. In other words, Jesus is kind of going, hey, I'm going to do something. And I want people to be paying attention right now, okay? Then Jesus asked them, the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Now listen, this is not a difficult question. This is some low-lying fruit right here. Here's here's the question. Let me break it down for you. What's better, good or bad? What's better, church? Yeah, we all get it. We all get it. Good's always good. We like good better than we like bad. So this is not a difficult question, but notice how they responded. They remained silent. They wouldn't answer. He looked around at them. Notice these next two words. In anger. This is Jesus. In anger, he gave him a look. He didn't say anything. He gave, uh, he gave him a look. Look at the person beside you and try to try to come up with that look. Give him that look. I'm I'm I am displeased. I am angry and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, "Stretch out your hand." He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Here, here's what I want you to see in this text. If you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. When Jesus encounters this injustice of these people who don't care about a person, they care about their traditions, they care about their rituals and their routines. When they see this person who is, who is being judged unjustly, here's Jesus' response to this. Jesus favors restoration over religion. Jesus favors restoration over religion. In other words, he loves the person more than he loves the rituals and the routines. Jesus gets angry because he sees a bunch of people and they're so focused on their thing, their group, their little way of doing things that they don't see someone who is hurting and desperately needs the touch of God in their life. I've heard it said before, the definition of religion is doing a God thing without God. And that's exactly what's taking place here. These are the the religious leaders of the day. These are the Pharisees. These are the guys that are supposed to be finding the Messiah. And he's there, and they can't see him. And he he has a work that he's trying to do, an agenda that he's trying to accomplish. And we know the Bible tells us, Jesus says himself, I came only to do the will of the Father. So what's the will of the Father here? To heal this guy, to minister to this guy. But they can't see it. They can't see it. Why? Because they're so caught up in their thing, in their tradition, in their little way of doing things, that they can't see not only what God wants to do, but God in the middle doing it. They can't see it. Jesus, it's a Sabbath. You you can't do that. We We have a routine. We have a ritual. I have a seat I sit in every week at church. Somebody better, no visitor better get in my seat. I'll just let that lay there for a minute. <laughs> and Jesus, look at this guy. He's not like us. We don't know what's going on with him, but we don't like it. I don't understand him, and I'm not even going to try to. I just know he doesn't belong. This is our group. This is our clique. This is our thing. And we don't want anyone coming in here that could, could possibly disrupt this. Listen, it's injustice. It's injustice. And it angers the heart of God. And, and as a church, like, we can't get caught up in this religious activity where we start to look at this thing as our thing. And we start to look at people out there who have problems that we don't understand. Listen, I see stuff in the world all the time that I'm like, I don't understand this. But my intention is not to say, I don't understand you, and I'm not even going to try to, and I want nothing to do with you. My intention is to say, hey, let me show you some truth that can set you free. Let me introduce you to a Savior who can change your life. I don't, I don't know why you're where you are. I, I may not ever understand, but I can show you someone who can and minister to you right where you are and bring healing and freedom to you right where you are and change you. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying we let go of truth. I'm not saying that. We hold on to truth. I'm not saying we're going to change everything about our church. We're still going to sing songs. We're still going to have a message. We're still going to do these things. But in the middle of this, it's not about just doing the routine and the ritual. It's about people encountering Jesus. We don't come here every weekend to put on a show for you. We come here to set a table where Jesus is welcome so that he can come do what only he can do. Minister to the heart of people who are broken and lost. And let me just remind you of something. At one point in your life, you were the man with the shriveled hand. You had a shriveled spirit. You were dead in sin. And Jesus came and looked at you and said, let me heal you. Let me set you free. And we accepted of the life of Jesus and he changed everything about us. Far be it from us to be a people who would not also welcome other people into the freedom that we've experienced in Jesus. It's injustice and we can't have it. So let me just tell you something. If you find yourself in a place Where you're looking around at the world and saying, I I don't want anything to do with you people. If you're looking around at the world and saying, you guys just stay out there. This is our thing. You better not disrupt my thing. You better not take my seat, my parking spot, my thing. Listen, God looks at that and it angers his heart. He calls it injustice. We cannot practice religion. That's why we're about relationship. We want to help people know God. There is a real God who wants to be known Who wants to have a relationship with people. We want to welcome them into that. So what does Jesus do? What did he do? He favors restoration over religion. Here's the second story. Matthew chapter 21. Second time we see Jesus getting angry over injustice. Matthew 21 is probably the most famous story in scripture where we see Jesus getting angry. This is the story of Jesus and the money changers. Jesus and the money changers. So this story takes place on the passover at the passover at the passover there were people who would travel from all over to come to the temple to to worship God and to make sacrifices and they're traveling like from from distances and traveling is a lot more difficult back then so what people would do is they would travel they wouldn't necessarily bring their sacrifice with them especially if they were coming from a far off distance because your sacrifice had to be perfect to be presented before God. And there were so many things that could happen and you traveling that could mess that up that a lot of people, they would travel to the temple and they would purchase a sacrifice at the temple. There's nothing wrong with that. What was wrong was that there were these, these people selling these sacrifices and they were like gouging the people. It's kind of like when you go to uh, the airport or <laughs> or a sporting event or a concert. You know, and you walk in, and it's like you can't, like the signs tell you, once you go in, you can't exit, so they got you, right? And so you go to buy a water, and normally a water is like dollars. Now it's $47.92. <laughs> and what can you do? You can't do anything. That's what's happening here. They're upcharging like crazy, and they're actually preventing some, because the sacrifices came in all different shapes and sizes and prices based on people's different levels of life, because some people were poor. And some people, because, they're so, because of the charges, they actually are showing up and they can't even make their sacrifice. They're being turned away from worshiping God and connecting with God the way they're trying to. And so guess what? This angers the heart of Jesus. Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out. Notice here, he doesn't just throw a look. <laughs> like the first story, it's, a little, it's kind of that subtle like, like that. This time it's like, okay, here we go. He drove out all who were buying and selling there, overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Quote scripture here. He says, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Jesus displays anger. He displays anger by turning over tables. And let me just remind you something. Jesus is not out of control here. He's not flying off the handle. He doesn't just kind of in this moment, he gets so mad, he just loses it. No, no, he knows exactly what he's doing. In fact, in Mark's account of this story, it says that when he saw this, he went away and fashioned a whip. Like he built a whip. Like he was in control. And I love this. I read this uh, just yesterday, this, this commentary about why he, why he created a whip. It says, the whip is an image of the power and activity of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God unleashed in Jesus as he disrupts the marketplace in the temple courts. And they say that the whip that he actually created was not the kind of whip to beat people with. It was a whip that would be used to drive, to drive animals. It was loud and noisy, and it was a symbol that Jesus was driving things in the direction he wanted to go. That there was something going in a direction he didn't want it to go, and so now he's driving it in a different direction. And so Jesus displays some anger here. He's displaying anger under control, but he's displaying it because an injustice is being done. People are being cheated. People are being ripped off. People are being prevented from being able to do what they want to do. And Jesus says, this is not going to fly. And so what does Jesus do? Here's point number two, if you're taking notes. Jesus flips the tables, not the people. Notice he doesn't just start like flipping people. He ain't even flipping people off. <laughs> he's flipping the tables. He doesn't use, he, he makes a whip, but he doesn't beat people with it. He drives people with it, moves them with it. But he does something so brilliant here. He flips the tables. And it, what, what he's doing here is he's, it's kind of like you heard that term before you turn the table on somebody. When you're turning the table, what are you doing? You're you're changing the circumstance to be in in your favor. Jesus is turning this circumstance. He's he's getting to the, the root of the issue here. He's dealing with it at a foundational level because it's from the tables that people are being mistreated. It's from the tables. The tables kind of represent the system that's supporting the mistreatment. So when Jesus turned the tables, he's foundationally disrupting the system that's perpetuating the injustice. But he doesn't just flip the tables. He flips the tables, but he doesn't end there. Look at what it says in the very next verse. Matthew 21, verse 14. Right after he flips the tables, it says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. So he doesn't just flip tables. He also loves people. He also ministers healing and help and restoration to those who are being mistreated. He addresses the mistreatment, but he also addresses those who are being mistreated mistreated. And I think what we can learn from this is, you know, sometimes there are injustices that we see. There are things that we see in this world that, that bother us and they should. And so there's an anger that rises up in us based on the injustices that we're seeing. And, and what we do is we respond to that and, and we need to respond to some of these injustices at a, at a level to do damage to the work that's being done that's unjust But sometimes we're not careful. All we do is that, and we don't do it in a loving way. We don't don't carry love while we carry our anger. And so in our effort to be right, and we may be right, but in our effort to be right, we end up wrong because we do it in an unloving way. You tracking with me right now? we got to make sure in the middle of of our dealing with some of the injustices of the world that we also, alongside of how we deal with it, we're also bringing love into the circumstance. Because I see this all the time in the church world. We get all up in arms about something going on, some kind of injustice that we see, and we take our side and we become so unloving in it. We get angry and we just display anger to the world, and the world looks at us and they don't see the image of Jesus. They just see the image of an angry Christian. And and, and it's not practicing, again, practicing the way of Jesus. It's not helping us. In the middle of of Jesus' righteous anger, it wasn't just table flipping it was people loving wow. and it's interesting cuz every time we see Jesus get angry in scripture right after that we see him healing people we see him helping people we see him loving people let me ask you in the middle of of what you're standing for or what you're standing against are you standing for what Jesus stands for in the middle of what you're, you you don't like are you making sure that you're liking what Jesus likes yeah. his people or people that are lost, people that are broken. Jesus doesn't just flip tables. He, or Jesus flips tables, not people. He turns the tables. He looks for a way in the situation to address the injustice at a foundational level. But he also heals those that are being mistreated by the injustice. Here's the third occasion where we see Jesus being angry. It's Matthew chapter 19 if you want to turn there. Let me set this up for you again. In order to understand Matthew 19, you need to understand Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, some of Jesus' disciples come to him, and they say, Hey, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And what they're wanting Jesus to do is, like, rank them. So they're, they're coming to Jesus, and they're like, Hey, Jesus, top 12, let's go. Here we go. Who's, where we at? And they're hoping Jesus is going to be like, All right, well, um, John, we'll put you, I'm going to put you in the one slot. Uh, Peter, this is interesting. Um Sometimes, you know, sometimes you're great sometimes you're in the t- I'll put you at six let's just go in the middle there they're wanting that like here, here's what they want to know they want to know who, who am I better than and who do I need to get better than like who can I look down on and, and we find like this is something this is real right and so they want Jesus to rank them but he didn't do that he didn't play that game he does something radical it says he calls over a child now in, in Bible times like you got to understand children were looked down upon. It's not like today. Like we live in a different world today. Like we love our kids. We want the best for our kids. You know, we have stuff like bike helmets and nets around the trampolines now. We've learned some things since I was a kid. When I was a kid, you didn't have a bike helmet. I remember when me and Sarah first got married, like driving around our neighborhood one day and I saw this kid riding a bike with a helmet on. I was like, look at that dumb kid. And Sarah was like, our kids are going to wear bike helmets. I was like, no, they're not. But they wore bike helmets. And they're a lot smarter than me, so I don't know. Like, it's a different world today. When I was growing up, it was like, you know, we have to break quickly. It's mom's hand and calling on the name of Jesus in a moment. I remember, like, I remember all the time sitting in the car with my parents, just sitting on, like, the middle thing, like, not buckled in at all. 80s, right? 80s kids, what's up? But now, like, you know, you're, you're putting 15-year-olds in a booster in the back. We're going to go from booster to now you can drive. But, like, we want, we want the best for our kids, right? That's what I'm getting at. We want to help them. We want to get them off on the right the right foot, all that stuff, put them in the best teams, all that. But in, in, in Bible times, kids were kind of a nuisance. They weren't useful until they were useful. So we're living in a, they're living in a difficult time. And so a kid just kind of adds to the difficulty of the day. Now, someday they're going to be able to take over this business and they are our retirement plan. That's how they kind of worked. But at this point, they were looked down. They, like they, were, they were very looked down upon in society. And so Jesus calls over a child, someone who the world looked down upon, puts it in his lap and says, Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. People's jaws were dropping when he says this. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now I could unpack, I've studied the crud out of this these two verses here. But I just want you to, one thing I want to like get home is what he says in verse 5. When he's saying, whoever welcomes one such child in my name, what he's saying is, whoever, when you welcome somebody that the rest of the world looks down upon, when you do that in that moment, you're welcoming me. What you do with them, what you do with them is what you're really doing with me. Now, you fast forward to Matthew 19, and there's a bunch of people that get it, but there's some people, Jesus' disciples, that don't get it. Matthew 19, verse 13 says, Then little children were brought to him. Why? Because he just said in Matthew 18 that this is what the kingdom's about, and, and I welcome them. And so now think about this there's probably some parents and some grandparents who've been following Jesus around, watching him do his ministry and wondering, does he care about the kids? I see him healing these adults, I see him touching people in restoration, and I got a kid who needs help. And does he care about them? And then Jesus says, I do. And so what do they do? They start bringing kids to him. Look at what it says. It says that they brought them to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. Why? Because what happened when Jesus put his hands on people and prayed? They got healed. They got set free. So I imagine that there's, there's, there's parents and grandparents and maybe aunts and uncles who are bringing children to Jesus who desperately need a touch from the Savior. Probably sick, maybe handicapped. We don't know what's going on, but we know they needed a touch from Jesus. And what happens? The disciples rebuked them. Rebuked them. Rebuked the parents. Rebuked these kids. Why? Because here's what they're thinking. Jesus, let's get back to what really matters here. Like this, let me just tell you, this is something that I fought against uh, and why we, we value children's ministry, I want you to know we don't look back there at what's going on our kids right now and say, you know, someday they'll be important. What's happening back there is just as important as what's going on in here because that's what Jesus taught us. So we minister to them, and we value them, and we care about them, and we teach them, and we shape them, and we mold them with the Word, and I hope that you're doing the same thing with them. You're not waiting for them to become valuable before you value them. And value putting the kingdom in them. That's not just our job. That's your job too. But Jesus sees this. And and, and they're rebuking these, these children. Now Jesus, he could have. He could have gone off on them. <laughs> like he could have very easily been like, guys, we just talked about this. I just went over this. I made it very clear. This is important to me. Why? And he could have spent the next ten verses just Just totally leveling these guys, leveling this foolish thinking. But that's not what he does. Verse 14, but Jesus said, let the children come to me. And in Mark's account of this, it says, before he says this, it says, Jesus became indignant. In other words, he got angry. He got mad. So these words are said with some oomph behind them. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for he repeats himself of such is the kingdom of heaven. I just told you this guys. And, he, and then look at verse 15. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Notice Jesus doesn't spend all this time leveling the fools, leveling the, the, the people that are thinking the wrong way. He corrects them. He reminds them of the word. But here's what he's really focusing on. Point number three, if you take notes, loving people. And leveling the playing field. What did Jesus do when he faced injustice? Jesus loves people and he levels the playing field. And what he's seeing in his disciples in this moment is discrimination. And that's what makes him angry. It's discrimination. What's discrimination? It's the unjust or prejudicial treatment of people based on race, age, or sex. That's exactly what his disciples are doing. They're not as good. They don't deserve this ministry. They shouldn't be with Jesus right now because they're not quite up to the standard of us. Jesus says, no, 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 guys. Because here's the reality. We all come to Jesus on a level playing field. Jesus loves us all. And if you really spend some time studying the life of Jesus, one of the things you're going to discover about him is he was revolutionary. In the way he treated people that the world looked down on. He was revolutionary in the way he treated women. Women were looked so down on at the time of Jesus walking the earth. And yet Jesus had women in his ministry. Je- women were following him. In fact, think about this. The first people to receive the gospel message of Jesus Christ were women. The message that Jesus he died on the cross, and he's alive, and go share it. That was given to women. Why? Because women were there. The men were hiding. But he gave it to these women. So, like, I just have a hard time believing that the first message of, of Jesus, the gospel message of Jesus goes to women, and now, and now they need to shut up and not share it anymore. You kind of have a hard time with that. Jesus loved women. He championed women. Jesus loved all ages. He loved the old, the young. Jesus Jesus loved them. Jesus loved all races. Like, read the story of the Good Samaritan. It's all about Jesus not saying this class is better than this class. The Jews are better than that. He doesn't do that. And one of the things Jesus taught us is he taught us how to pray. You remember this? When he taught us how to pray, what does he teach us? He says, pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Why does he teach us this prayer this way? Because he's trying to get us thinking the right way. Trying to get us seeing faith the right way. See, in heaven, when you get to heaven, race isn't going to matter. You're not going to be looking at the people beside you and looking at their skin color and trying to figure out they deserve to be in the presence of God. You're not going to care about that. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be looking around at people, and you know, male or female. You, you women, you need to go back here. You, you really shouldn't. Be near the same, like you know, that's not gonna matter. Age isn't gonna matter. It won't even be a thing, people in heaven. Like age, I have a theory. This isn't Bible, but this is my theory. So don't, don't quote me on this. Here's my theory I believe when you go to heaven, you're going to be in your prime, right? Like I have a hard time believing that I'm gonna be like 95 walking around heaven. Praise the Lord. No. So, so I'm thinking like 22. 22. We all age to about 22, and then we just kind of live there forever. Best shape of our life. Like, you're not going to be looking around at people being like, dude, you need to work on your lats. We're good. We're in great shape, best shape of our life, better shape than something. Like, are going to be the best version of you, a version of you you maybe were never even a version of in heaven. It's going to be awesome. So, so you're not going to be looking around and, like, here's, the, here's what I want you to see. We're not going to be looking around looking at what makes us different. We're going to be looking around at people thinking about what makes us the same. And what makes us the same is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed so that we could all be in the presence of God. And, and so the, the, the prayer is on earth as it is in heaven. So that we don't, we're not waiting till we get to heaven to say, okay, now it's a level playing field. We're looking at it now and saying, okay, now, now. The blood of Jesus makes us the same Now. Today, We all come to the cross on level playing field. We all come to Jesus the same. He loves us all the same. Red, yellow, black, white, male, female, no matter how old you are. And there's so much in the world today that tries to divide us. Ageism, sexism, denominationism. Like we, we gotta get our mind focused not on what makes us so different, but on who makes us the same and what makes us the same Jesus Christ and his blood and his sacrifice on the cross here's here's what I hope you see in this what did Jesus do when he faced injustice here's what he did he got angry based on love and he displayed that anger because he he was angry because he loved so greatly there were things that 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 angered him But in the middle of that, he's not just flipping tables. He's not just leveling people. He doesn't, he's not that, or or flipping people and flipping, you know, people off and getting all mad. Like that's not Jesus. In the middle of him dealing with the injustice, he's loving the people and ministering to the people and helping the people because Jesus is for people. That's why he came. And I, I remind you, like we were those lost people. And I think we we can forget about that. Sometimes we get so caught up in our little religious thing, our little clique, our little church, and the way we we like things to be done that we forget where we were before, how lost we were, how broken we were, how messed up we were, and yet Jesus accepted us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in the middle of this? And just listen. Maybe you find yourself thinking, man, I, 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 think, I think I've been thinking the wrong way. I think I've been processing this the wrong way. I've gotten a little caught up in this just being about me. And I've taken my eyes off of Jesus and what Jesus has his eyes on. And I need to, I need to get that right. that you and we encourage you just take a moment if you feel like the holy spirit's showing you an area where you need to correction just surrender to that say lord forgive me i repent help me in jesus name thank you lord thank you that you are a good god you're a just god because you're just you, you you hate injustice and lord if we have been a part of perpetuating injustice in this world god we repent We repent for siding with stuff that you died on the cross to eliminate. And Lord, we choose this day who we will serve. We choose, we're not gonna serve our temper in anger. We're not gonna serve our agenda, our our little clique, our group, Lord, we serve you. And we're for you and for what you are about. Thank you for it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I'm gonna go ahead and invite our altar ministry team to come down. Last night, man, we had such a beautiful time in altar ministry. And what the Lord put on my heart for this weekend is that some of you, as we talk about injustice, it's hard to be a person who is fighting for justice in the world, the God kind of justice, when we ourselves have experienced injustice sometimes there's stuff that's happened to us in our life. Like some of you have faced injustice. Some of you faced injustice because of your color of your skin. Some of you have faced injustice because of the way the family you are raised in. Maybe you were raised in a home and you didn't have much. You were poor. And so now you, you've, you process the world through that and you, you want to do certain things, but you find that you just keep coming back to this memory. Some of you were molested some of you, things were said over you that were hurtful. There was injustices done. They were they were wrong. What was done was wrong. And you can't seem to move past it. I believe this weekend, God wants to do a healing work. See, the, the, the great thing about the cross of Jesus Christ is it doesn't just touch us in our spirit. The work of the cross touches every part of you. You are a spirit, soul, and body. And your soul, sometimes there's stuff that t- takes place in our soul and our mind or emotions, that's what or your soul is, your mind will, your emotions. There are things that take place there that that we get hung up on. It's hard to move past that stuff. But, but here's the great thing. The Bible talks about how the blood of Jesus can cleanse your conscience from dead works. In other words, the blood of Jesus is so powerful, he can actually heal your mind and begin to start to erase. I'm not saying that you're gonna walk out of here, you know, it's like men in black and you can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> But what God does is he begins to take away the sting of that thing. And what what once held this, like sat on the throne of your thoughts, now is pulled off the throne. And it's still there, but it doesn't hurt like it did. And so I believe Jesus wants to heal some of you today, wants to heal you of injustices that have done to you today. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, church. We're gonna go back into a time of worship. And if that's you right now, I just want to encourage you, start making your way towards the altars. I'm going to ask our, our team to be kind of prepared. We're expecting that there's probably a lot of you. And there may be some of you, and you're going, oh, I don't need to go down. Listen, there, there's something powerful that takes place when we're willing to do things God's way. Be willing to humble ourselves and say, okay, I'm not just going to, like my way. my way of thinking about this hasn't worked up until this point. So I'm going to quit thinking that it's going to continue. I'm going to take an extra new step today. And I'm going to go down I'm going to do what the Bible talks about. I'm going to let hands be laid on me. And I'm going to join my faith with somebody else so I can receive fully what Jesus Christ has done for me. If that's you, go ahead and start making your way down towards the altars. For the rest of you, here's what I'm asking you to do. We're going to go into this song. I want you to worship God. But I also want you to be interceding for those, our brothers and sisters who are down here, who have stuff that they've been hanging on to that's hurtful. And they need healing from that. So would you be praying for those who are being prayed for right now? And I know, I, I, man, I'm, I'm telling you, strong me right now. There's somebody in here you're going, I don't know, I don't know. Listen, God's talking to you. He's talking to you. He wants to help you. He wants you to leave today going, man, that, that doesn't hold my heart like it once did. That doesn't have control over my thoughts like it once did. I have been set free in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for all these people here. I thank you for the just God that we serve. And I thank you, Lord, that he is a healing God. And, Lord, you don't just heal us in our physical bodies. You don't just heal us in our spirit, Lord. You want to heal us in our minds and our thoughts. I pray, Lord, you would do a healing work on emotions, a healing work on on people's minds right now, Lord God, as people take that step of faith to step out and receive. Lord, I thank you for emboldening some people in here to step out right now so they can receive all that you have for them. In Jesus' name.